We're very excited to, to have you here tonight. Whether you are here uh, for Sydney's baptism, whether this is the first time uh, you rocked up and, and walked through the beyond doors, even if uh, you notice there's a whole bunch of cars parked in the parking lot today and just thought, what the heck might see what's going inside this building, uh, we want to say welcome to you. Uh, it's incredibly exciting. I don't know if you caught the awesome sunset this afternoon as well, but uh, it's just looking like a really amazing night tonight. Um, but yeah, we really want to welcome you to, to what's been happening here within the Beyond community. We're actually in part three of this five-part series uh, that we kicked off some time ago called Unexpected Answers. And if you haven't been around for the last couple of week, weeks, that is okay. We'd love to catch you up to speed because we've been looking at this idea that in life, there are certain questions that we have certain expected answers to. That There's these certain questions that we have certain expectations and certain answers to. We've been unpacking this idea over the last three weeks. And in fact, if you were here last week, uh, we actually looked at this idea that within the world, we can't all say that the world is going completely right. Not everything in this world is heading down a terrifically good path. In fact, uh, we looked at this idea that before diagnosis, actually, before a diagnosis comes before prescription. Now, we can't actually go about trying to figure out how to change the world, how to impact the world, before we first diagnose it. In fact, if we were to look at the idea of what we expect from the world, there are so many things that can lead us uh, down this path of not purpose and meaning, but things that can just invite us into short rounds of content and short bursts of satisfaction. We can often lead ourselves down paths of just satisfaction. So we all almost agree that no one argues the fact that there's nothing wrong with the human race and where we're heading in some way or form. And ultimately, that there are bad things that are happening in this world, and sometimes bad things happen to us as well. Uh, I was actually in a job, and I currently work up at a campsite up the coast, and the campsite I worked at uh, when I was 17, I had one of these bad experiences, or if not a heated moment or an intense moment. Uh, you see, being 17 on staff meant I actually got one of the really good jobs uh, on the Flying Fox. You see, the Flying Fox we have, it's about 10 metres high, and the zip line is about 240 metres long. Now, I'm not qualified to push anyone off the Flying Fox, uh, so they thought, why not put 17-year-old me down the end of the Flying Fox to catch people? I know, I know. <laughs> so down the end of the exit of the Flying Fox, to actually slow people down and to help them exit is actually a pulley system. The pulley system works off a little bit of rubber that's attached to the zip line. And attached to this rubber, or attached uh, to this pulley system, is actually rope. And the person who holds the rope is me. So as people go down the Flying Fox, it's my job that as they come in, just to slow them down that little bit so they can carefully head up the hill where I can disconnect them off. Really simple job. I've done it so many times before. However, I just had one of those days when not everything exactly went to plan. See, we actually had a single mingles camp come up one day. Uh, and there was this guy on this camp, and I don't know how I can uh, visually describe him to you, so you're going to have to use your imagination here. I don't know uh, if you've ever seen a seven-foot-three man climb up a flying fox before and literally be four times the size of Paul Gallon. Like, this guy would eat people like John Cena for breakfast. <laughs> he was massive. And, like, he wasn't, like, sumo wrestler big. He was just a very big, solid guy. And I saw him kind of heading over to the harness rack. I'm like, surely, surely not. Surely he's not going to come down this flying fox. Surely I'm not going to be the one catching him. Uh, but, oddly enough, he did just fit into the harness. And because he fits into the harness, he can indefinitely actually climb the flying fox. So I, I talked to our instructors. I said, guys, you need to send me some type of signal, like a thumbs up or a shucker, or at least pray for me or something up there because when this guy comes down, I don't know what to do. I've never dealt with this before. It was this intense, heated moment. 
Uh, so I was down the back. A couple of people came down and they were, they were sliding a little bit and their knees were scraping. I'm like, okay, this is fairly usual. It's okay. 17-year-old me inside of me was just going, mm, I'm not fine. I am not fine. And I don't know if you've got into like heated discussions uh, with your mum before. If you've got into heated discussions with your sisters or girlfriends or boyfriends, I don't know what that looks like. But when people come home and you ask them how their day was and you just get, mm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Obviously, you know that they are not fine. There is something else going with on their head that tells you that they are not fine and you actually need to escape the house because you can't be around them when they are clearly not fine. That's just my response when I walked home from this day to my mum. I just told her, I'm, I'm not fine. You see, on this flying fox, when I was sitting down the back and I knew this seven foot three giant was going to come down, I was nervously waiting. My knees were shaking and I held onto my rope and that's when I saw him climb up. My instructors sent me the signal, they sent me the shocker and I knew he was going to come down and I also knew he was going to come down because once he got up on the platform, he actually blocked out the sun. <laughs> So I was really like in this apocalyptic moment. I'm like, this is it. This is the end of the world. I was thinking like, well, I don't know, at least really like when you die down here, at least your parents will get some type of like life insurance claim or something like that. Like the money can go to something good. I don't know. They can find another son. Someone is better. I don't know what's going to happen. Everything was going through my mind. What is going to happen next? And as he got up on the platform, I was just like, Riley, you got this. You prepared for this. You know what to do. This has happened a million times. Everything's going to be okay. So I walked the rope down as far as I could go. And I just braced myself. I was completely ready. And I thought I was ready until he actually stepped off the platform. You see, once he stepped off the platform, the zip line dropped down to the platform and the rope shot out of my hands. Now, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, now I'm at the stage where I'm not in trouble, but this guy is in trouble. And as I was carefully scrambling to get the rope, I was doing like this shimmy motion, trying to get the rope. It was jumping over the zip line, coming back over, coming back over the other side. Eventually I got a hand onto it. He was 20 metres away and I finally got two hands on and he just hits the pulley and comes to a dead stop. In fact, he's fine. Me, on the other hand, I got shot about five metres over the ramp, over the other side. I'm abseiling up the sides of the ramp. I jump over a tree stump, running away. My hat's off my head. My sunglasses are off. My pants are slowly slipping down. I come to a full stop. I'm on my knees. And then just as I catch my breath, I turn around and look at the guy. I'm like, oh, oh it happens all the time. If I had a dollar for every time that happens, I'd have a dollar. I'm... T- I was completely caught out and I had no idea what to do next. You see, there's these stages uh, in my life that have really damaged my masculine ego as well. And I got really caught out in this heated, intense moment. But I'll tell you, there's another time where I actually went to do some apprentice work with my friend. Uh, he's a carpenter and we're building a double deck. And I was really excited and I'm like, yes, this is it, Riley. Today's the day you're going to become a man. This is the same year. And I headed over to this place, purely excited to build a double deck. But I got given the job of laying bricks. And it wasn't a large amount of bricks, it was just a small area of bricks. But my mate Luke just told me, Riley, if you can just go over there and just make sure that all the bricks are levelled out, that they're nice and balanced. Too easy, Luke. I can level bricks. So I took over that measuring stick thingy, that to a leveller. I took over a leveller <laughs> to help me level out these bricks and make sure they were evening. And he told me, Riley, this is going to be a half an hour job. Then you can come over, help us build the double deck. I'm like, mate, I will see you there in half an hour. It took me two hours and a half. I was just trying to get these bricks perfectly in balance and it took me two hours and a half just to try and get these bricks absolutely perfect. 
And I was stressing out. It was a heated moment. It was an intense moment. And I didn't call out for help at any stage because I didn't want my ego to be damaged. So I just kept going and I kept going. And eventually my mate Luke comes over and he's like, mate, listen, I see you've done a fantastic job. I see that you tried for a prolonged period of time. But it's okay. I'll walk you through it. We'll get this done. And he showed me how to use the, the leveling stick to actually make sure the bricks were all smooth. And we got them out perfect in the end. Literally took 15 minutes. The most productive thing I did that whole day was actually save a butterfly out of a spider's web. But, <laughs> but, we could potentially say that there are times where we get stuck in these situations where we are holding a rope, waiting for people to come down a flying fox, and we're in a lot of trouble. There's also stages and intense and heated moments we get stuck in where we actually need someone to come over and help us out. We actually need a who, like my mate Luke, to level out the bricks. We could potentially point to a lot of who's over history. But I want to pitch this idea to you. I want to pitch this idea that what if the answers to these big problems in the world is not a what, but is indeed a who? What if the answer to these big problems in the world is not a what, but is a who? See, we could potentially point to a lot of who's over history who have gone about trying to make this world a better place, trying to make things right. You might have who's in your life that help you out in your uni life, in your work life, maybe even in terms of your family. There are who's you can point to that can always be there for you and help you out in some way or form. But at the same time, there are probably who's over the course of history that have actually made this world a worse place, actually sent the world down this wrong path. We've been unpacking this idea over the last three weeks. Who this who is at the centre of this Christian faith? And this is what we're going to unpack tonight. What if it, it's not a what, but if it is a who? Who is this character at the centre of Christianity who's meant to set everything right and create this balance? If you weren't here last week, uh, we were saying that we can always go to a book, whether it's a book you get from the library for uni, whether it's a uh, how-to 101 book, we can always pick up a book and find some expected answers. But ultimately, unexpected answers actually come from things we encounter. And over the last three weeks, we've been looking at this idea of how Jesus encountered people. So I want to introduce you to this conversation Jesus had with this guy called Lazarus. Now, Lazarus was actually known as someone whom Jesus loved. Someone whom Jesus loved. And if you want to like a ghetto translation of that, Lazarus was pretty much Jesus' brother from another mother. They were tight. And between Jesus, Lazarus, and Lazarus' siblings, Mary and Martha, they're actually known to be Jesus' closest family outside of his discipleship group. But here's what happened. You see, Lazarus actually got sick. Lazarus got sick, and Mary and Martha, they started throwing Hail Marys. They were doing everything they could to, to fix him. So eventually they sent for the impact player. They, they called out for Jesus. And when they sent for Jesus and he arrived, Lazarus had died. You see, it was seemingly too late. By the time Jesus got there, Lazarus was, was already in the tomb. I want to bring you into to what this story actually looks like and what this conversation actually looks like. Because if what happened next, if you believe the eyewitness, eyewitnesses accounts that actually pop up, in the book of John. What happens with Lazarus and Jesus is really one of the most famous incidents in history. On top of that, it's actually 
also would have to be one of the most revealing, showing us not only who Jesus is, but what he actually came to do. So I want to pick up this conversation with you from where uh, Jesus actually rise, arrives and sees Martha. And, uh, this pops up in John 11, verse 21 to 36. We'll whack some of the key verses uh, up on the screen for you. It starts off with this. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered and said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus replied, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha replied, yes, Lord. I, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after Martha said this, she actually uh, called for Mary and told her that the teacher is here. He's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went for him. And Jesus hadn't actually entered the village yet, but was still at a place where Martha had met him. So when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up, they went with her and followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And Jesus has this encounter with Mary. See, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was in him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Jesus said, where have you laid him? Mary said, come and see, Lord. And Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. So the interesting thing in this conversation, you might have been able to identify it yourself, is that this is two sisters same situation, almost exactly the same words to Jesus, but ultimately they have these two very different conversations. You see, Martha turns to Jesus and says, Lord, you were late. You could have saved him, but you were late. And Jesus is like, Martha, 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 hold your horses. I'm the resurrection and the life. With me, it's never too late. At the same time, he, he almost pushes away from the flow of Martha's heart. See, Martha is feeling lost and despair, and Jesus pushes against the flow of her heart. It's never too late. Mary, however, she says exactly the same thing. This time, it's the complete opposite. So Jesus doesn't argue. He doesn't deliver a statement. In fact, he almost appears speechless. Instead of pushing against Mary's heart, he actually enters it bursts into tears and says, where is he? And all of a sudden we see Jesus getting all mushy inside. See, Jesus clearly has this profound relational ability, but in this conversation we really get a glimpse of the character and identity of this Jesus. So we could never really imagine such a divine person being sucked into Mary's agony. Why would he be so strong one minute and so vulnerable the next? Why would he weep? You see, if this story wasn't something that was made up, and this account shows us dramatically, Jesus is both fully God and fully human. So he turns to Martha, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. I have the ability to take life and give life. Notice he's not saying, like, listen, I can revive Lazarus. Listen, I've got this supernatural ability. It's all sweet, Martha. We'll fix this. He's saying, I'm the power that, that gives everything life and keeps everything alive. 
You might know if you're a follower of Jesus that this is actually the first time Jesus makes a call like this about his divinity. And as a follower of Jesus, I can tell you that it's great to know the power and uniqueness of of Jesus' teaching. But what he says in some ways, and you might interpret this if you're somebody who's not a follower of Jesus or if you stepped into a church before you, you might interpret this as something else. Because this sounds like something a lot of religious or any divine figure would go about sharing. Any divine figure would say about themselves. In fact, having a figure who's the whole giving of life and, and taking of life thing, it, it's something that maybe you have experienced before in school. Maybe it's something you have experienced in going to another church before. Maybe it's something you've experienced from a guy that's run up with you with a piece of paper telling you to repent. Maybe for you, this is just something that you just can't seem to buy. And I can tell you that if you resonate with any of those things, I can completely understand. Because if Jesus is not who he says he is, then he would have had to have been some type of fraud that people are for some reason unconsciously following. He would have been potentially one of those really wise historical figures that over time had, had really good moral values and was able to teach it in a really effective way. But to actually say, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the power that gives everything life and takes it away. It is indeed a big call. Not within the culture, not just within the culture that we live in right now, but also within the context of the culture in which this story took place. You see, it is quite odd to know that the people that were following Jesus in the first place, that turned to Jesus in the first place, some of them were actually Jews. See, first century Jews, they had this view of God that was so transcendently high. This God who, who looked down. Because first uh, century Jews, any suggestion that God could come as a weak flesh and blood human, it would have been violently denounced. They didn't even pronounce the name of God, let alone write it down. This meant the whole idea of God being both God and man, it would have been completely out of the question for any Jewish man or any Jewish woman. It would have been impossible either way to explain to people that you are God if you have any of the normal flaws of human characteristics. So all in all, you can see it in the deep cultural and historical context. We can see it would have been impossible to convince a critical mass of first century Jews that you were God. But even after his death, even with the resistance of many Jews, we actually see that they were tipped as the growing body of people to become followers of Jesus. So how? How how did he do it? What kind of life must Jesus have led and what kind of person he must have been for first century Jews to actually start following him? Ultimately, the unexpected answer of Jesus being both God and man, it had to have lied at his heart. To lie at something about him being this uh, incomparably loving human, we get a glimpse of as he weeps with Mary. He breaks down sobbing at the news of Lazarus' death, and everyone turns to say, Can't you see how he loved him? You would say, If a person was so divine, why would they weep? If they were the one who managed life and death, claiming he is the resurrection and the life, that he is God, that Jesus wouldn't be sobbing over death itself. He responds to Mary by grieving. He's fully human too. He weeps with her. Ultimately, there might be times where we all need someone to to slap us in the face with a little bit of truth. At the same time, there might be times where we actually need someone that we can turn to. Someone that actually has the integrity to step into our sorrows. But why? Why would God come as man? We pick up in 
verse 38 and 44. So Jesus, uh, this is after his conversation with both Mary and Martha. See, Jesus was once more deeply moved as he came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Jesus said, take away the stone. But Lord, Martha said, by the time, by this time, there is a bad odor. For he's been there for four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you're always there to hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the great clothes and let him go. It's really interesting because in that verse there's this Greek translation where Jesus yells to Lazarus to come out of the tomb. It actually translates Jesus actually bellowing with anger. That Jesus actually rages at death. He doesn't just say, look, get over it, listen, get this death, listen, listen, things happen, that's unlucky, lads, we'll see how we go. See, Jesus actually looks directly at one of the things that causes our greatest heartache, one of our greatest fears and nightmares in life, and he is mad at suffering. He is mad at suffering, and he's mad at death, and he's not mad at himself. What does this mean? See, clearly, death and sin, it wasn't part of God's original design, as unhappy as the world is today, as we acknowledge that, that not everything is going right, that yes, just said last week, what we expect from the world in light of being satisfied, it can't always sustain us. That on a larger scale, there is things going on like war, there is oppression, there is, there is violence. Why hasn't this God, and why didn't this God, just come down and, and end it all? If he bellows with anger in the face of death and in sin, why didn't he just come down with the sword and hunger games this place up? Why didn't he just rewrite this story? But instead, this is God that actually sent Jesus. If you follow Jesus, you might know that he sent him not to, to bring judgment, to actually bear it. Not to come with his sword in his hands. To actually come with nails in his hands. You see, once the religious leaders found out about what Jesus had done, in fact, once Jesus had done what he'd done and knew what he had to do for Lazarus. He knew that the religious establishment would be after him. He knew that they would be after him and that he would be sentenced to death. In fact, in verse 53, it says, from that day on, they plotted to take his life. That interrupting Lazarus' funeral was to actually summon his own. He bellowed with anger. As a witness said, see how he loved him. If you're a follower of Jesus, I just want to zone in and touch base with you just for a second. Can you see how much he actually loves you? That he actually became this human, mortal, killable, for the sake of this relationship and love. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, there are probably people in your life that actually makes great sacrifices for you. They make these great sacrifices out of love, and you might have even had someone randomly help you out before. Because ultimately, at our hearts, we'd like to think that somehow we are drawn as people to feel for others. In fact, when people are suffering, there is, there is something about that heated moment, that intense 
moment that we can resonate to. Maybe you have someone in your life who will be immediately there for you in a situation like that. Maybe they have this ability to, to bring balance, to, to fix things, to take control. Maybe you haven't actually taken time to realise yet how you were there for others when they are caught out in these hidden moments. Taking time to realise that there was a time where there was somebody that actually forgot their wallet. So you just paid for their coffee. There was a time where someone was pulled up on the side of the road and their car was busted, so you pulled up along side of them. There was a time where someone was stressed about uni, they were anxious about work life, there was family troubles, there was health scares, health scares and you were there by their side. Because whether you know it or not, you were probably somebody who was willing to actually face up and follow up the I'm fine statement without escaping the house. You're probably somebody that is willing to actually give yourself access and to have access to other people. Because ultimately, why wouldn't you want to be someone who actually shows up for other people? And as we wrap up tonight, as we kind of bring it to a conclusion, 65% of audiences actually re-engage with word conclusion. So I will tell you right now that I will conclude. <laughs> we do this thing at Beyond. Uh, and we conclude with a takeaway. This thing at Beyond called Four Monday. Because we believe, what's the point in coming to church on Sunday if it's not going to impact you? not going to change you for Monday. So this week, I just want to pitch two questions to you, and then I want to give you a little bit of an action strategy. My two questions I'd love for you to identify and answer this week. Firstly, who's your go-to in heated moments? Who is your go-to in heated moments? Who's the person that you can turn to and that they give themselves full access for the sake of what's going on for you? Who's your go-to that you can go and talk to about what's happening on happening within school, what's happening with your assignments at uni, who's the person you can go and talk to about what's going on at work, about things that might be popping up within your family. Who is your go-to that you can go to, not just to get the slap of truth, but to actually have a shoulder to cry on as well. And secondly, I want you to identify who you actually need to go to if you can identify the person that comes to you so often, how that makes you feel, who is the person that you need to go to? And I want to challenge you that this might, this person might actually be sitting outside of your circle. This person might actually be sitting outside of, of the core of your friends and family. There might be someone out there that you can identify just as you walk into a coffee shop that you actually need to go to them. Who do you actually need to go to that might be suffering themselves right now? actually might need you to have access to. So as a follower of Jesus, it's incredibly exciting to think that there are people that we have potentially yet to meet and there's people already in our lives that we can simply show a relationship to Jesus to by practically showing his love. It's also incredibly exciting to think that we only know about this God because We'll only know about this God if he has actually written something about himself into our life. Into a world we discuss actually turns away from goodness more often than not. A world that we have certain expectations from that can lead us away from a life of meaning and purpose. And so he wrote himself in. This God didn't just, doesn't just sit from the sky and looks down. He actually wrote himself in. What if the answer to what is wrong with our world is not a what but a who? Is that a 
that is a question that you're skeptical about or a question you want to challenge a little bit more. I'll set you a third challenge this week. Last week we were talking about hardboard hustling and what that looks like. This week I want to challenge you to run the hustle. I want to challenge you to come back next week where we'll have a communicator far better looking than me. Here we're just going to look at this idea of who this who character is. Who this who character is. And what it could actually mean to you. If you're someone that is skeptical about this relationship with Jesus and what it looks like, you'd like a couple more answers. I challenge you to run the hustle. Come back next if you are a follower of Jesus Jesus he showed up to you saying listen it's, it's not all going great it's not all going great but it's all good See, I know where you're heading I know what you're expecting from the world I know it might have fallen short the money that, that you were chasing working your way up the ladder at work I know it got messy I know the relationships you were looking for satisfaction I know it got tense I know the what you were turning to, but I have showed up for you. If Jesus is who he says he is, he is infinitely more than just this great thinker. If Jesus is who he says he is, he's going to be far greater than just a good counselor or a resting shoulder to turn to. Jesus is who he says he is. He's got to be more than just this Jewish leader who had this really good following. Jesus was actually this God that was angry with suffering. He was angry with suffering, so he wrote himself in. He wrote himself into this suffering and into death for a relationship and a loving relationship at that with you. We'd love to invite you next, back next week as we look a bit more into this Jesus guy and who he was. Other than that, I'd love to invite the band up right now. We're going to finish with a quick summer's worship. But before we do that, I'd love to invite you into the time of prayer. So if you'd like to, to do what you do when you pray. Fantastic. Lord, we just thank you that we live a life where we're actually part of a bigger community. God, there's actually people we can turn to in life and give access to and we can give access to ourselves, that Lord there are times where things can get heated things can get intense Lord there are times where we don't want to be the person holding on to the rope God that there is times when we actually are anxious about turning to other people to ask for help sometimes what we expect from the world and what we go looking for from it that it is money, Lord, whether it is excellence, intellect, uni, Lord, whether it is having some type of power or control in our workplace, God, whether we turn to, to relationships and just wait for that, that sense of meaning and purpose, Lord, that will let down, that ultimately we can actually turn to you at our centre. Lord, a life with you actually consists of a greater meaning and purpose. But we just thank you that we can actually look into and see how Jesus encountered people, the son you sent with, that ultimately the, the actions that he did and the, the way of life he lived ultimately ended up on him being on the cross. But Lord, to know that the, the suffering we're a part of right now, that is temporary. Lord, that the suffering that Jesus suffered on the cross, 
suffering that he wrote himself into his death, Lord. It was for the sake of a loving relationship with you. And we pray over those that are waiting to feel this, this sense of meaning, this sense of purpose, Lord. We pray for direction this week. Because you're someone we can turn to, not just as a good counsellor, not just as a great teacher, not just as a leader, Lord. Someone we can turn to for relationship. Because ultimately we can see just how much you love us. Amen.